it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Athletic. This is Talking Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. We are here together again, bright and early, to reflect on Manchester United making it through to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup with that last-minute win at Nottingham Forest. We'll preview the Manchester derby on this podcast as well, if we dare, uh, and we'll also round up some other bits and bobs that are going on with Manchester United at the moment. I'm very pleased to say that, once again, we have a full house. We've got Laurie, we've got Andy, and we've got Carl dancing away in a Nottingham hotel room. It looks lovely, Carl. Some nice mirrors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Athletic. No expense spares when they send me to Nottingham. It's quite nice. Yeah, good. Um, you were at the match last night. How was it? <sighs> Scrappy. Scrappy. Uh, I'd say right now Manchester United aren't good, but they are finding moments that are good enough to get you there. Um, so running on fumes, but still running. I'll take that. Yeah, Scrappy, says Carl. What says Laurie? Oh, that'll yeah, do. It was it was excruciating at times, wasn't it? I mean, that first half was was really tedious, and yeah, I mean, obviously relied on a moment of set piece quality. Really, I mean, that combination Fernandez and Casemiro has worked before. Let's let's whip it out. Let's work it again. Um, I mean, you know, it wasn't. It was basically how Liverpool won the. Uh, Carabao Cup final wasn't it get get a moment of set piece except their match was because they had a load of kids on and that was the only way they could do it United were okay they weren't at full strength but it was a uh, a sort of decent side at least um, although I will say that again he's having to shuffle his defence around isn't he and, and I just I know that City can do it and, and interchange the back line and, and it not affect the performances but Tenag just doesn't have the players at the moment to swap in and out and and allow his team to play the same way passing out from the back I mean particularly Amrabat at left back in the first half I thought was really bad switched him to right back in the second half bit better coming into midfield and actually played a few nice passes but yeah it was one of those where you're just thinking thank goodness United have scored late on nobody wanted extra time and nobody wanted a defeat I was sat in the pub. I was a bit. I was a bit disappointed. There wasn't extra time. I was looking forward to a couple more pints, to be honest. But um, give a nice little shandy, did you? Never mind. I helped myself to one afterwards just to celebrate the win. Um, Andy, what did you think? I mean, obviously, we'll get into the specifics of the different aspects of the win and the performance. But the, the general feel of it, a win's a win, I guess. That's the be all and end all at the moment, isn't it? Really, job done. End of. It was scrappy. It wasn't pretty. United, I thought, started quite well. Created three very good chances inside the first. Uh, 20 minutes should have scored but the team are in the next round it's a home draw thankfully against Liverpool and we can live in excitement for for a couple of weeks the season would have been over if Manchester United would have lost at Nottingham Forest and this podcast would have been so glum but instead of that be slightly glum because we've got to see it at the weekend but we know that Liverpool's round the corner great way to win a game Late goal in front of 4,400 travelling fans. Casimiro set up by Bruno Fernandes. Really clever at how they worked it. So we can pick holes all over, but 
it was so much better than Forest last time round. Oh yeah. And these are small mercies, but you know, the this, this season somehow trundles on a little bit. What was that away in light car last night? Good, really, really, really good spirits. Honestly, uh, they had really good banter back and forth with the Forest fans. Uh, there was a moment I should have recorded it really where. Uh, the away fans keep going United Forest fans responding with a, a certain word back we, we heard that on the TV <laughs> I heard that yeah. <laughs> good good um, yeah United's away sport is always in good spirits they always enjoy the trip to the city ground and thankfully they were duly rewarded with a winning moment right near the death Andy have you got yourself involved with the um, the failed attempt so far to develop the city ground I, I just wanted your take on it really right this seems even more complex than Old Trafford, I have to say. Oh, yeah. I mean, Nottingham City Council are not covering themselves in glory. Yeah, they're not messing about. Are they, Andy? <laughs> so all Forest need to do is rebuild the main stand. The rest of the ground is, is pretty nice. Trenton was done for Euro 96. Bridgeford M was done before that. And when Forest won two European Cups, which is one more than Manchester City, they built the Brian Clough stand opposite. So the Peter Taylor stand, the main stand, it's really not fit for purpose. It's too small. And there's been really grand plans for a long time. I think it will be done. Um, it, the ground enjoys a very privileged position by the River Trent. I love walking over the River Trent and seeing the floodlights. United didn't play there for 24 years and have played there four times in the last 13 months. But it, I think it will happen. I'm not into the intricacies of local Nottingham planning bylaws. I'm going to let you down on that one. Maybe, maybe this afternoon. I have seen the plans and it holds 30,000 at the moment. It's going to push it up towards 40,000. Get it done. <laughs> Get it done. So we, we're not filing Nottingham Forest with Bournemouth then. That's good. Uh, I'm quite pleased and relieved about that. Thank you for that, Andy. I always enjoy you. I love how he didn't disappoint there. You asked and he delivered. Oh, did he? Although he wasn't au fait with the uh, complexities of Nottingham uh, Council's leasehold arrangement and, and the price yeah. that they're now asking for development. I've got I've got pictures on my phone of the idealised proposed um, <laughs> stand and you carry on and I'll show you just to prove I'm not Should lying. you have those it, photographs? That's my he's, question. He's got these photographs in like, you know, those like a locked away photo album on his phone. And he's, yeah. <laughs> Everyone usually thinks that it's something else, but actually no, it's stadium. It's, stadium. Porn. it's blueprints for the city ground. Quick delete it, Andy, delete yeah, a bit, it. Bit of blue. <laughs> Right, let's talk about some of the specifics. We'll start in defence because that's where Eric Ten Hag started in his press conference after the game and it was yet another back four lineup. Now, not even not even taking into account switches in game like last night when Amrabat and Delo swapped over or at times there's been different uh, ways that the centre-backs have lined up from match to match. There's been 23 different back fours for Manchester United in all competitions this season. That's in 37 matches which is startling. And the one last night was brand new. That had never been used before. Uh, Delover and Lindelof and, and Amrabat to start with. I'll ask you this as well. Anyone want to hazard a guess at what Manchester United's most used back four is in the starting lineups this season? It started together four times. This is like one of those questions, you know, with the treble team, when everyone has their ideal treble yeah. team 99 it only started like once together didn't it like it's yeah. like this weird uh, thing in, in football history that always happens um, I want to say Diogo well, Dolo left back Dolo left back correct oh wow uh, I'm gonna say Johnny Evans Johnny Evans correct whoa this is good <laughs> Harry Maguire right centre back no oh Varane Rafa Varane Rafa Varane 
And then Wan Bissaka right back. Yeah, Aaron Wan Bissaka, Raphael Varane, Johnny Evans, Diogo Delo. They've started four games together. I would never have got that. Oh, that is incredible. Unbelievable. And you mentioned 99, Laurie, and how many times that team started together. How many times do you think Manchester United's fairly recognised first choice back four of Dallo, Varane, Martinez and Shaw have started together this season? Oh, this season? Yeah. Did they start together once at Spurs or twice with Wolves? Was it the very start of the season? I'm going three times. Three times. Kyle, any advance? One. One. Newport County away in the FA Cup on the 28th of January. (laughs) That's the only time. Wow. So when you consider all of that, there is grounds for Eric Ten Hag to complain and and justify some of the issues that they've had, surely. Well, he says it's never an excuse, but he does obviously repeat it. So it's difficult to say it's not an excuse, really. But um, (laughs) I had a look at this start back in the start of January, and it it was 19 at that point, um, different back four configurations. So you're saying it's 23 now, so that's four more in the space of, you know, like six weeks. So it's just a regularly occurring... Uh, situation for him and I suppose the additional thing to say on that is that the player that he bought for the back four was was Lisandro Martinez he was the one that is going to change the way he could play and we saw that at his best last season and obviously gets that injury gets injured again gets injured with his knee a third time just when it's looking like it's going to be more secure you know that West Ham game I know it wasn't perfect but it, it looked like a pretty comprehensive well it was a comprehensive victory he's not actually got the style of players that he wants no, no, and he's played that infrequently, Martinez, that he's only been part of six different starting back fours <laughs> this season. What's that? Come on. We need double figures for uh, that kind of start if you're going to be anything as a Man United defender. It's crazy, Carl, though, isn't it? It's remarkable. I looked at the quotes from the December defeat and Ten Hag said, it's just so hard to build consistency and build these routines. Yeah, this is something Ten Hag brings up a lot of time. He, the team can't play the way he ideally wants them to play because they haven't got enough time to learn off each other and learn each other's movements. You, you watched the, that first half last night. Amrabat, bless his heart, didn't know where to stand for three or four phases. Uh, I, th- I think he was told that when United crossed the halfway line, he could invert into central midfield. But there were two or three times where he sort of make the pass to Garnacho, try and drift inside and Garnacho, what are you doing? The, not now. Um, and you just kept seeing this confusion on a lot of players, you know, Raphael Varane played at left centre-back again, which, again, raised eyebrows from me because Ten Hag seemed quite insistent that these things weren't always possible. And yet, now he's having to make slight tweaks here and there. Everything is uneven because you're playing so many square pegs and so many round holes. And, and just on that as well, so the, the style of play that he wants, obviously, ideally, is a high line. So you can, you can all bunch up, be compact. The forwards can press high but you just can't really play that with the players that he's got. You know, Varane likes to drop deep. All right, Jamie. Maguire likes to drop deep. I'm just saying how it is. And then you get these gaps in midfield and, you know, that's that's what all the, the counter-attacks come from and the cutback goals. Uh, and and I, I, I don't know how much it is Ten Hag saying, OK, guys, I'm just going to be a bit more pragmatic here. You can, you can have a bit of a lower defence if you want. Um, or it's the guys, when they're on the pitch, at, the, at those moments, just sort of naturally going that way. And he's and he, he said it last night, didn't he, that the, you know, the, the principle, and you know he, he he might you know great on some players if he's going over these kind of points, but clearly he feels like in the games they don't necessarily fulfil what he's asking for. So he kind of maybe feels like he has to repeat himself. It's a, it's a major problem, and, and and it's a legitimate excuse. I still think that too many of the players who are starting are not playing well enough, and I don't think that Tenag should be exonerated. I think 
wasn't unreasonable to expect Manchester United to be better against Fulham at the weekend, for example. He talked about how his team are consistent. And if you're looking at 2024, yep, yeah, there is some consistency there. It all feels so fragile. Going back to that word, which I asked him at Luton, Amrabat, look, it's braver the lad to play there and to play out of position, knowing that he's likely to be exposed. And Nottingham Forest in the first half, they absolutely went for him. He wasn't as fast as their attackers. I did wonder if Nuno did United a favour by putting a Rigi on Amrabat instead of putting a Langer on. There were a couple of times where he was he was done for pace. And yeah, Forrest, Forrest in the first half, I think they tried the, the long ball. And in the second half, they they changed slightly. They had more success um, down, down the right-hand side. But it didn't look good for Amrabat in the first half. I thought he was significantly better in the second half. I have to say, yeah. I know he switched position. I thought he had a good energy about him. And look, he's... He, he started this season never thinking he would be playing at left-back and he's played left-back four or five times now. I'm right-back now. It's not <laughs> ideal for him. It's not ideal for the team. And we're in this situation. And we started talking about this because of the changeable defence. It's not helping anyone. The, the team are missing key players. And it shows. You get away with it against Forest sometimes, although we lost at Forest last time. What happens when we play against a team like... When we next play in City? Not sure. Don't tend to look for that fixture very often. Um, the thing with Amrabat as well, Andy, he played five minutes in a couple of sub-appearances for United post the Africa Cup of Nations and his last start came on the 17th of December. So he's going to be rusty, isn't he, a little bit? He's on his way out. It's not been a loan that, that, too. that has worked out. I'm sure he's highly motivated. I'm told he's a, a decent lad. I'm told he, he's got a good relationship and... He winds Diogo Dello up about knocking Portugal out of the World Cup for Morocco when we had this incredible unity. Uh, I don't think he would have been signed if Manchester United wouldn't have had injuries at the start of the season. He probably over-celebrated because people had this idealised version of what they've seen in the World Cup. But right from the start on this podcast, I was quoting people whose job it is to watch players like him in Italy and they were saying, why has he been signed? And we've seen the answer to that. He's had a couple of decent games, but he has stood out because he's been targeted. And last night, I thought he was targeted at least in the first half. So it's to his credit that he improved in, in the second half. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So that's the defence there, into midfield. Um, Anthony got his start, Carl, didn't he? He did, he did. <laughs> he uh, hit, the, hit the woodwork in the first three minutes after a 
well worked set piece routine. It was nice. And I think that was his highlight. He played 75 minutes when he went off. Forest fans were chanting, what a waste of money. It's difficult for him because his attacking endeavour is always going to be limited because he's so uh, predictable. He's so he's so left-footed that Forest defenders knew just cut off the easy pass inside and then you can force him backwards. However, if I'm trying to be very polite and charming, um, he did offer a lot of defensive endeavour. There was there were two or three moments when Ahmad Diallo came on from the 75th minute for Anthony. And on more than one occasion, after Ahmad was introduced, Bruno Fernandes was just screaming and shouting at him about defensive positioning. There was one particular counter-attack where Ahmad had just lost his runner. He'd gone into midfield. Victor Lindlos sort of scrapped and scrambled and, and took a tactical foul to get a booking. And Bruno just ran over to Ahmad and just going, you know, berating him. What are you doing? What's your runner? This is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. There was another throw in where Bruno really got into Ahmad and tore chunks off him. Um, and that was one where I know a lot of listeners to this podcast are going, what's Ahmad got to do to get starting, to start for United at this point in time? And I, I, I do think he's got to do some of what Anthony's able to do. Anthony's, of all the United players, Anthony knows what Ten Hag wants the most out wide. Um, and that will give him a minor advantage over players like Ahmad who can go both ways in wide positions or Garnacho who can go both ways. So, yeah, damning with fake praise about a 86, 85 million pound winger that the thing he really brings is defensive endeavour but he did bring defensive endeavour yeah and there's always been the thing about balance and shape and stuff like you say related to the fact that you know Ten Hag has the relationship with him from Ajax and now obviously a couple of years at United the interesting thing about um, Anthony Andy has been the way that Ten Hag has spoken about him in the press conferences as well he he didn't hold back after the Fulham game, um, but then really did come out and defend Anthony ahead of this match. He got the start as well. And even talked about his pace over the first 10 yards, which seemed like a strange comment. Anthony will be Ten Hag's biggest failing if he doesn't work out. So it's in his interest to talk up the stock of Manchester United's what, third or fourth most expensive Second, ever I think, behind Pogba. And he's still quite young. And... A shot of confidence from your boss is going to do him no harm. Um, we don't know what's going on in the life of Anthony or has gone on this season. You know, he's, a, he's a kid out of a favela in Sao Paulo. You know, he's been the main man at Sao Paulo and, and at Ajax. Interestingly, I watched what I watched last night. I watched it on TV. I saw Alan Shearer being quite critical of him. But he hit the crossbar after three, didn't he? As he tried to guide that shot in from, from the corner. He also did really well getting back to stop Ilanga just after half-time, took a weaker shot. But I spoke to some people who, who know more than, than I do about last night and they acknowledged that he struggled in possession but praised him out of possession and Rashford and Bruno, actually, and Scott McTominay. So I could see exactly what Carl says, that Anthony's following what the manager wants, but he wasn't brought to run back and nick the ball away from a Nottingham Forest attacker in his own half. He was brought to be an attacking danger for Manchester United. He's incredibly skillful. Tanag talked about his pace over 10 yards. Unfortunately for him, he's become a little bit of a, a scapegoat. He's had a difficult second season. I still think he's incredibly talented. I've not given up hope on him. I'm not in the position that I've been in with Anthony Martial. But he's got to deliver. He's got to do it. He's got to do it in a big game as well. He started last night, so that was a big step up from where he was at Fulham at the weekend when he looked to have been completely sidelined. 
And I don't think he did too bad. I don't think he did as bad as Alan Shearer was saying. He needs one of them efforts to go in. You know, just the, the, the efforts that are in the crossbar. He needs a complete change in fortune. And he's got the talent to do it. Whether that'll work out at United, I don't, I don't know the answer. Bring it on Sunday, Anthony. All is forgiven if that happens. There you go. <laughs> I was going to say, Andy, would you start him on the weekend? Well, my understanding on Thursday morning is there's going to be no changes in terms of who's injured or not. So I see more encouragement in his performance against Forrest than, than negatives. I probably would. Probably would. Yeah. I mean, he, he he's when he's playing well, he's he's a threat. Scored at the Etihad before. But he hasn't been playing well. What's the alternative, Carl? The alternative is now a Forsen, who is just, you know, a green greenhorn. Uh, you've got Ahmad, who we just discussed his defensive positioning. You can move Bruno Fernandes on the right-hand side, which I very much don't enjoy. He did that in one derby, didn't he? Yeah. I'd, I'd start Anthony over both those other players you mentioned. Well, the other thing is, he's gone from having a, a hierarchy, it seemed, of Forsen, Ahmad, Anthony at the weekend, to then at Forest having a hierarchy of Anthony, Ahmad, Forsen. So... It's a bit unclear, actually, what the, the the pecking order is there recently. I think in a, against Nottingham Forest, where United are expected to dominate possession a little bit more. Okay, yeah, United away from home. But if you're expecting a bit more of the ball, then Anthony's a bit more useful than Forson, who I think will be more of a counter-attacking threat at this point in time. Ah. Tenag keeps Tenag repeated on two occasions that he thinks Anthony is one of the fastest players over 10 yards. And it, it that it's one of those stats where you know I've se- I've seen every, I've seen all the United forwards run in a sprint on a counter attack, and you're going oh this is quite nice. But the, the problem is when Anthony gets on the ball as part of that counter attack, you're like oh he's going to keep taking his left foot. He's making it he's making possession really easy for a defender to get up to get off of. Him. Um, and I think it's one of those things where running stats don't quite tell the entire picture. Uh, Diogo Dalo is, is the fastest player at United this season. He's got the highest top speed, but even then. Of all the things I'm going to say are really good about him, I'm not starting with his speed in a straight line. Maybe it's um, his speed in a circle. He does spin quite fast. So, <laughs> um, I mean, that that for me felt like Ten Hag basically had come down quite hard on him after the Fulham game yeah. because he knows him because he thinks he needs to give him a you know a kick up the arse. But then thought, okay, I've done it once. You're going to come at me again with these questions from journalists. I'm going to defend him and I'm going to you know kind of pick out something that you might not think of that I'm I'm telling you is is the case. Um I don't know, you know, it, it feels like a fair enough defense of a player he's he's bought. When you say about the the cost of Anthony, you know, Ahmad obviously 37 million. That I mean that was 100 and so what's that 130 million pounds of of winger talent um that's been at United for like 5 years, 6 years combined. And you consider um, the 73 million talent that's currently in Germany. Yep. That's obviously something to be looked at. I think with Anthony, he actually seems on the pitch weirdly like he's he's become quite he's not the bullish kind of character that he was when he first joined if you get what I mean like he, he kind of claps his teammates for passes that are quite rubbish that he hasn't been able to control and he like apologizes quite a lot so I think he's perhaps he, he looks to me like he's trying it's just he just doesn't have that ability in the final third to go either way and, and give the defender something to think about if he's got this 10 yard sprint knock it past the player and and, and go down the line like it just so many times it obviously cuts cuts in and then the def, the kind of counter the speed of the attack just sort of dwindles 
And yeah, I mean, I guess you're right in that. I guess he has to start at the Etihad on on Sunday, really, given his his, his pedigree and what he's done there before. It's sort of reflective of Ten Hag being a bit more bullish in his press conferences as well, Carl. In your piece on the Athletic, him responding to the criticism of Bruno Fernandez in recent weeks, including us on the podcast. To be honest, we've been questioning him a little bit, haven't we? Uh, he called us pathetic, <laughs> which quite right. Well, yeah, he doesn't know us that intimately, does he? But yeah, um, I, I just think that. He is coming out fighting a little bit in these press conferences. I think we've talked on the podcast and privately about his communication and, and at times you, you do want a little bit more from him. But but actually, in the last few weeks, his press conferences have, have been different. He's a lot spikier. It seemed, it's important to him to correct things that he believes are untrue. And when he was talking about Bruno Fernandes at full time, he said Bruno Fernandes overcame a serious injury. To play. What does he mean by that? Because surely a serious injury means you're out for weeks, doesn't it? He was pressed on this, and then he said he didn't want to get into it. But he said that Bruno had um, he had done this on more than one occasion. He said last year he, he overcame a serious injury to play against Tottenham Hotspur, and then he said in a semi-final. Um, he didn't specify if that was the League Cup semi-final or if that was the FA Cup semi-final. But I do remember the FA Cup semi-final against Brighton. He went. Bruno went down, and he looked. Yeah. Yeah. really bad yeah. I remember turning yeah. to, to Laurie going he, he doesn't look right and then sort of 15 minutes later he was running around the place like he was absolutely fine so anything I can say right now is we don't know if it's painkilling injections he's taking or mm. whatnot. but it seems like Bruno Fernandes is playing through a pain barrier as well as one of mental fatigue and Ten Hag wants it to be known that for, for the talk about him being petulant and whatnot, he's he's putting the team on his back and he's, he's getting through I was watching this in the stadium, so I didn't have BBC commentary. What was said when uh, Felipe was found to have his hand around Bruno Fernandes' neck at full time? Not as much as was said by United fans online who compared it and contrasted it when Casemiro did the same thing and got, got sent off for it. So it's, it's become a, a, a main um, talking point. I think this is good management from Eric Tenarg. I don't mind him coming out fighting. In some ways, he's fighting for his job as well. This is in play. I said that on the last podcast. And more of those Fulham results, I can't see him lasting beyond the summer. But if he wins the FA Cup and he finishes in a Champions League position, then I could see him staying on. Roy Keane always made the point that fans didn't realise how many times I played when I was injured. And managers really like players who play through the pain barrier. And managers really hate players who say that they can't play because they're not 100% perfect. Because players are seldom 100% perfect and managers are not going to come out and name those players because it's a really uncomfortable thing for them to do. Ralph Ranjit did. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but yeah. Not often. Yeah. Dropping bombs when they were on the way out or as an interim manager. They are. And we don't know what the situation is with Bruno. I remember that Brighton game. Brighton were fantastic and you're right, he did go down, he got clattered. I think it's good management for him to come out and say that. I, I don't have an issue with him because... Fans will see things in a slightly different light. We saw a story this week that some players had asked for time off after Fulham. I've asked and asked and asked and I cannot find any truth in that. So if the manager's going to come out and give his perspective and come out fighting, good. When a manager says a player is playing through the pain barrier, do you grow concerned about how integral he is to the team? So there were times on Mourinho where you know, Mourinho, I remember once Mourinho complimented Lindelof for playing through a groin strain and United finished the game and were in seventh place. And I was just going, 
do you do you really need to keep pushing Lindelof at this point in time to keep him in seventh? Surely you could just find something else and just preserve Lindelof. Is it a case of th- there's no one else other than Bruno, so you just have to keep pushing? You can look at it two ways. You can say it's highly irresponsible that Ronnie Johnson is asked to play through the pain barrier when he's pilled up and carrying loads of serious injuries, but does it and gets man of the match and marks Zinedine Zidane out of a game. Isn't everything fantastic? Slightly different when you're 52-year-old Ronnie Johnson and your legs won't move or your ankle won't move because you're paying the price. Keane was massive on this. Keane felt that he was always playing regardless and he went to war for Ferguson all the time. And it's one reason they still don't speak today, because he felt that he didn't fully appreciate him. So it's complex and it's subjective. And there are certain players who, yeah, there's a cloud in the sky over there today. It might rain. I'm not going to be able to play today. And they get a reputation for that. And it's a difficult one for a manager to know who's who's a bluffer, who's a blagger, and who's willing to to go to war for you and that is what's needed and it's all about percentages get to this stage of the season we're ticking to March tomorrow is anyone really 100%? no they're not they're not at all because they've got the the battle scars along the way mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Right, a couple of things to mop up before we talk about the derby at the weekend. Uh, first of all, it's set to be Eric Ramsey's final match as a first-team coach for Manchester United, isn't it, Larry? Yep, Tom Bogart over in America has done really good work on this. Um, he got the original story that he's taken over as Minnesota head coach. So he's actually going to be the youngest ever full-time head coach in the MLS, which I think is quite a big thing. He's just turned 32. So yeah, uh, that <laughs> puts in perspective, doesn't it, uh, what he's been able to achieve in that time. And a lot of people will think, you know, well, you know, United set pieces haven't been very good, so is he any great loss? And that because he originally came in as the this kind of set-piece coach. It was under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Kieran McKenna, I think, had uh, studied with him at Loughborough University. So that was the the link. And he'd been at uh, Shrewsbury before and then Chelsea's uh, youth coach as well, one of one of their youth coaches. So 
he kind of arrived with this perception that he was going to transform United set pieces and quickly, it wasn't really like that. He wasn't like a specialist, like Austin McPhee is at, at Villa. We spoke about him before, haven't we? The long blonde hair and you can always see him on Nanny the... McPhee's son. <laughs> when a corner goes in, he's there fist pumping. With Ramsey, I mean, listen, I suppose he, he does do a bit of set piece stuff, but it's more generally helping out with coaching and, and he's very structured in his uh, in his planning. So I think that's what Minnesota have appreciated. There's been a couple of clubs that have looked at him previously, Blackpool and Swansea basically this came before the Luton game I believe Eric Tenag was sort of asked about it if he would be okay with him leaving and I think Tenag obviously appreciates that he's not going to stand in the way of uh, a coach you know going on to become a number one Um, but it was negotiated that actually the best plan would be for him to stay until the derby so they can kind of figure out who's going to take up Ramsey's responsibilities um, past that point but obviously the MLS season starts uh, very soon uh, if it hasn't already actually already started yeah. it's already started <laughs> so he needs to get over there and and, uh, and see what's going on but um, yeah so an interesting move I think Andy what do you make of him not being replaced manager's got quite a big coaching team around him I think for Eric it's a great opportunity to manage at such a young age he's prepared himself for the Minnesota winters by living in Manchester in fact he lived near you didn't he uh, yes yes he, he did. He did. Uh, it does. He's, he's, he, do you let on to him? Uh, not exactly. <laughs> so, but you see him about, yeah? Well, I think I've shared the tale on the pod before about seeing him holding his line as he walks down the pavement with the dog pulling him forward and or the, the pram pushing the pram forward and pulling the dog along as well. And you've not got to the stage of breaking the ice and going, all right. No, we've done that thing, you know, where we sort of make eye contact and acknowledge that you're aware of one another's existence, but, but it's not gone really beyond gone that. Further than that, and alas, now it may never go further than that. This is I'm a real shame. You know, this, this could have been like a, a blooming relationship. You'd be meeting him for coffee. You'd be discussing <laughs> Manchester United's tactics, and he's basically cutting you off right at the point where you're just about to get your first let on. Yeah. What are you going to do if you see him at the derby at the weekend? Try and let on. You've got him. <laughs> Please. I'll, I'll pay you a tenner. All right, Eric. <laughs> All the best in America, lad. I'll try it after the game. Let's hope we're in the mood to be able to share pleasantries uh, after 90 minutes there because um, it feels like a tall task, Carl, doesn't it? Heading there this weekend. I was racking my brain. We're, we're going to have a piece coming out this weekend where, we, where a bunch of us all pick our starting 11 to the derby. And I was racking my brain thinking, when was the last time United went to a derby at the Etihad? as the favourite. Um, and I'm coming up blank. It's got to be before yeah. 2016, maybe even before then. Oh, away from home. Since Fergie, um, yeah. Since Fergie, probably. That last one, when they got... Uh, no, maybe not the last... Yeah, the, the last one was 3-2 under Ferguson, wasn't it? Van Persie, free kick. I don't think they've gone as a favourite probably since like two, 2010. They were two excellent um, League Cup semi-final games. There was that huge game in 2012, which City won 1-0. I'd say that was 50-50, Vincent Company scored. That was, that was probably the biggest Manchester derby in recent times in terms of its importance. But to go there as favourites, nah. United have had some excellent results there. The best one was in 18, wasn't it? 2-0 down, City celebrating, Paul Lake on the concourse. Championi, not quite yet, son. Bang, 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 The fireworks have been brought down from the, the roof yet? Or? Exactly. Look, we've, we've got a talk about past memories because I am as bleak going into this one as I was in the um, the Derby at Old Trafford. And I, I remember being put up against a City writer for the BBC and he was giving it the old, well, I quite fancy United actually. And it just reminded me 
of them swats at school who pretend that they've not done any revision for their exam and then they come out with straight A's. Oh, I can't believe... Because I used to believe them and think, well, that's sweet because I've not done any either. In fact, I've done 20 minutes, so I'm in a better position than you. Come to results day, can't believe I got 16 A stars. Look at you nodding, Ian, because you were one of them probably. <laughs> Is no, that why I you always... do your homework on stadiums now, Andy? And you've got, Yeah, like, that's why I need to do reams and reams of documents. On. Hard work, mate. It makes a big difference. No matter how hard United work ahead of Sunday, it just seems, with the team carrying so many injuries, it seems completely daunting to me. And we'll go, and probably be the only time where I go to a Manchester United game and don't think the team will win. I'm clinging to, like, freak results do happen in football. Maidstones do beat Ipswich Towns, but... We're not quite at that level, Andy, blimey. No, it's not that bad, but... <laughs> Maybe mentally for prepare myself to be bad. There's not like 99 places in the English football pyramid between the two teams. In fact, there's only five, less than that maybe, four. It feels like there's a big gap between those two teams Yeah, at the moment. It does feel like there's, there is going to be at least one problem position. Left back. Yeah, I was talking to, I was talking to a friend at full time and, and they, they, pointed, they went... Marcus Rashford at centre forward against centre forward. Yeah. Marcus Rashford at centre forward against City's six foot centre backs. And you're like, yeah, that's gonna be a problem. Rashford's been playing centre forward for the last couple couple of games, and it, it's not his best position. His back to goal game is you know, is not even to the level of Anthony Martial, let alone to the levels of someone like Haaland. Um, and that is concerning, especially now City have John Stones back and Nathan Ake back and whatnot. So. How United find space and how United run in behind uh, a back three, back four, however many that that are just strong and quick and tactically adept will be tricky. I reckon it's going to be a big, big game for Garnacho. He's really coming to his own and just, I'm going to get the team five yards, just going to incrementally drag this team up. Um, I think Garnacho is going to have to have a big game on Sunday. But Amrabat left back. Lindelof left back. What do you fancy? The, the worry is is that Luton performance. I have to say, De Bruyne and Haaland clicking again. I mean, five goals wasn't it for Haaland for the first time? Four assists. Somebody scored that many since well. um, George Best against Northampton, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, well, that was it. The, the connection between De Bruyne and Haaland was the thing that terrorised United at the Etihad last season. Yeah, you can just see them then kind of starting to motor again. That that performance, I think, sort of was was a indicator of that. I know they haven't been totally um, in sync, perhaps since uh, De Bruyne's come back and Haaland's had a little bit of rust. But um, yeah, I think that was a kind of a portent of, um, of potentially <laughs> uh, chastening afternoon for for United's defenders, sort of looking over the shoulders. And some of his movement, Haaland is is you know freakish, isn't it, for uh, the size of him? And um, I think United's defenders are going to have to be just absolutely on point all throughout the game. Yeah, that's enough praise, I think. Um, let's um, have a look at the rest of the team then, Andy. I mean, we sort of speculated a little bit there. Kobe Mainu will come back in. It'll be his first ever Manchester derby. He's done a lot right for Manchester United so far and he can lead us to a derby victory on Sunday. That's what we expect, isn't it? He's a top player. Will he come back in or will he stay with, with Scott McTominay? You're not even certain he'll bring you back in then? I don't know. I wondered that last night. I don't know. I thought Scott played well, and I know that the coaches felt that Scott played well at Forest. Kobe Mainu has been fantastic, and I wouldn't be uncomfortable to see him starting, although I would if he was starting at left back. Don't think he's the solution there. He, he, he can play in a few positions. <laughs> That'll be the 24th different back four if he starts at left back, just to labour that point once again. I mean, 
Menu has been a, a big plus for United in recent weeks. It'd be quite a big call to leave him out, Laurie, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I think I think he'll come back ultimately because McTominay, I think, was selected for that reason that Carl touched on earlier, that United had possession and so him breaking into the box was going to be a frequent threat. And actually it was, you know, he had two really good chances with headers from, from Dallow crosses, which are were really good. I mean, I, I need to revise my view on Stephen Warnock's uh, appraisal of, of Dallow as one of the best crosses in the league. They were really good crosses and he made them into that situation. It wasn't like it was a, on a plate from either time. But Tommy should have done better with the first one, but I thought got really unlucky with the second one. Good, good movement, good header. So, but that was a specific kind of, yeah, type of, of play. I don't know if, I don't think United can play that way against City. I feel like they're going to need to have somebody who can get on the ball and just try and keep possession as long as possible and twist out a difficult situation, which is obviously what Maynou's really good at. Um, and just a, a thing for listeners, I've, I've got a piece that's coming out on Maynou. It, it might be up tomorrow. It's certainly up before the derby anyway, so I've kind of done a big backgrounder on you know, the clubs that he came through are his progress at United. Um, it was really sweet, actually. I went down to Cheadle and Gatley, which is, was, was his first club last Sunday morning spoke to some of the guys there and, and watched one of the games and spoke to a lad afterwards who scored a couple of goals um, and he basically said that yeah he's got Rashford on his shirt that he had at Christmas but he's going to get Mainu on his next shirt so he's already kind of inspiring local people and he has you know he's he's from the area he's going to be one of the local lads um, you know and alongside Rashford but in this global game I think that's something to be cherished still um, and he has you know he's been at United for a long long time so yeah I kind of feel like when it, when it comes to it Tenag will select him but it is a big big game for him isn't it I mean away at the Etihad but he's, he's been unfazed by anything that he's been through so far yeah he has that's been the major plus point for him really hasn't it I mean Carl the other aspect considering the issues that United have got and I know you've asked Tenag about this recently is there any chance that he might change the system he might play a different way the the routines and the principles remain the no. same was, was Ten Hag's answer after Fulham and I sort of went away from that going okay on, on your head this shall be but you go away, you, you start making some dinner, you really think about what Tanakh's saying, and I can understand why he doesn't want to change. I think against the majority of teams in the Premier League, his methodology will be successful because they've got Bruno Fernandes, they've got Casemiro, and even in their slightly diminished states, they can get a team over the line. Whether or not this uh, counter-attack heavy style of play is going to be as effective against Manchester City is another matter. You're going to need... Set-piece goals are going to be huge for United on Sunday, I think. Ten Hag said Casemiro has more goals for United than he has for any other club, which, uh, again, raised an eyebrow. Really? I'm not sure about that one. Goals per game, maybe. Yeah, something like that. But the importance of Casemiro's goals has, has been really, really big for United. And I think in the air, especially from these set-pieces, from these corner kicks, he's better than anyone else would expect unless you're watching La Liga week in, week out. I know Andy is not a guy. I told you all. <laughs> right, I'll be positive then. Yeah. Anana's playing well. Yeah. Carry on. Delo's playing well. Yeah. Carry on. Varane is Varane and there are times against Forest where he showed why he's a world-class defender. Big Vic, you can do it, son. Centre-half, you had good games in the derby before. Casimiro, you were bought to stand out in games like this. Deliver against City. Anthony, we've already discussed him. Big, big game needed. Garnacho, big moment needed. It's been a few weeks. Do it. Fernandez, Bruno, top performance. Rashford, you've scored winners in the Manchester derby. You're a Mancunian. Cobby, do as you did at Everton away. Left-back, let's just forget left-back. Maybe don't even play a left-back. Bring McTominay in. Right. 
Just chase De Bruyne around, give him a little kick, and then we'll sweep three and a half thousand United fans over those three tiers, get right behind the team, everyone bouncing. Come on, Reds. Andy, get in the dressing room before the game. Telling Deliver you, that. <laughs> Telling you. Well, if you're not for Sunday now after that, I don't know what would do the trick, but we're going to leave it there on Talk of the Devils. Andy, Laurie, Carl, thank you for being with us as always. Thank you for listening, of course, and we'll be back after the Manchester derby, whatever happens. Take care. Thanks for listening, like I say, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. Athletic.